The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us for the Spirit of Recovery And thank you for liking the Spirit of Recovery page, liking us on Facebook, and thank you for commenting. It's great to hear your comments, and also thank you for your emails. I love uh, hearing from you and hearing what's happening for you in your recovery journey, and also hearing how what we're doing here at Spirit of Recovery, the guests that we're bringing you, are making a real difference in your life. So thanks for participating with us here on Spirit of Recovery. Also, I want to thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, and your other spiritual communities know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. And I am grateful to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And um, every week we do have topics that are important to the recovery community. We have guests that are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. Our guests are people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and a lot of times all of the above. Uh, The guests are bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen uh, via your computer. You can listen via your smartphone. You can listen live or you can download our programs. You can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program Spirit of Recovery and listen on demand. And we've got lots of archives um, in addition to the great archive that we'll be uh, creating today here in our program. So I invite you to do that. And uh, listen on demand uh, at all the great programs we've got. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or the friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, um, perhaps you're in your own recovery as a family member or friend. Perhaps uh, your friend, your loved one is or is not in recovery. Uh, Whatever, it doesn't matter. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Maybe you're simply somebody who is interested in the process of recovery where we welcome you here uh, as a listener and also to participate. If you have a comment or a question for our guest, um, we're happy to have you 
do that, I want you to know that you are welcome here on the Spirit of Recovery. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister, and I'm also an addictions counselor. I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And over 30 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth um, to engage with those principles of recovery and also uh, with the unity principles. And that's a rich walk that keeps me uh, transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. And I am very grateful for that. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about recovery and to hear what you're experiencing in your recovery and your spirituality walk. Today, our topic is Freedom from the Inside Out, Recovering from Food Addiction. And uh, my guest is Stephanie Bernstein. Today, we're going to be talking about some really important ideas about food addiction. And we're going to be talking uh, about uh, obesity Uh Obesity sometimes can be a situation that uh, there's a lot of stigma around in our culture, and people have some uh, really erroneous ideas about it. Stephanie is going to be talking with us about that and uh, giving us some real insights and some real uh, new thoughts and some good ideas about food addiction and what recovery from food addiction is. Uh, She's going to be sharing with us some things both personally and professionally Stephanie is a health and wellness coach and consultant. She is uh, the Director of Health, Wellness, and Optimal Happiness at Happiness Quest, LLC. And you can uh, learn more about her work at uh, the website alwayspeaceofmind.com. And it's spelled just the way it sounds, alwayspeaceofmind.com. And Stephanie has a Master's of Social Work and with eight years of experience in the fields of behavioral and mental health care and social sciences. And in her work, she helps consumers and peers by promoting person-centered and consumer-driven approaches to expand their rights, self-sufficiency, and opportunities. She works with people that are struggling to manage their behavioral and mental health concerns as well as substance use disorders. And her passion is uh, helping people to let go of the stigma that's associated with eating disorders and other behavioral and mental health and substance abuse conditions, and also in empower- through that, empowering people to live um, successful lives. And again, she shares that both from a professional perspective and from a personal perspective. And we'll hear today how Stephanie sees those as intertwined and how uh, working from those two places is really helpful to people. So, Stephanie, welcome uh, to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate that wonderful introduction. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. And um, I'll share with our listeners that um, how I learned about you and came to invite you to be a guest today is your article, uh, which really fascinated me. Uh, it, it gave such a fresh perspective to the idea of uh, recovery from food addiction. And the title of your article, uh, which was uh, via the web, is called I Stopped Waiting, W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, My Journey to Recovery from Binge Eating Disorders. And um, later I'll I'll ask you where people can access uh, that on the web because I have it but I can't find out where I got it. But anyway, we'll find out uh, from <laughs> sure. where you got it, where, where it was. Anyway, so, but first of all, before we get to that, tell us uh, what makes you so passionate about sharing your own personal story of recovery. 
Sure, I would love to. Uh, well, when I decided to pursue my master's in social work, uh, my hope was to be a significant influence through the political arena. I wanted to inspire others to be active advocates for social changes. Uh, I used my analytical communication and advocacy skills in my work with national nonprofit organizations and federal agencies in the Washington, D.C. area. In fact, uh, in my last position, I worked on a SAMHSA initiative called Recovery to Practice. And for those of your listeners who are unfamiliar, SAMHSA stands for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and it's the agency within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services um, that leads public health efforts. Uh, the Recovery to Practice Initiative is part of the federal government's efforts to promote recovery for all Americans affected by mental illness. It's designed to help mental health providers adopt and use recovery-oriented practices. My project director, Dr. Larry Davidson, uh, is a professor of psychology within the Department of Psychiatry at Yale, and I have been truly inspired by Larry's work since I was first introduced to it and to him uh, back in early 2010. I really see this project as part of a mental health civil rights movement and was thrilled to be part of it from the very beginning. Uh, Larry and the Recovery to Practice Initiative inspired me to go back to graduate school to complete my clinical graduate school requirements, uh, which included a full-time internship in the behavioral health center of a hospital. It was in the hospital that I got to witness how powerful the personal stories of recovery that were submitted to the project were. Uh, I shared some of the publications with individual patients and in some of the group psychotherapy groups that I led when I felt a particular story was relevant and could help the patients to become optimistic about their futures. And for many of the patients, the stories truly gave them a sense of hope. Um, I found that the patients who I seemed to help the most were the patients with whom I shared personal stories of recovery from the initiative, in addition to my own self-disclosure when I felt it was appropriate and would benefit a particular patient or group of patients. I was able to tell them that I get it, and I would point to my head, and then I would tell them that I get it, and I would point to my heart. Um, and that really taught me that the power of empathy is just truly amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, now, let me ask you a minute, if I could, briefly about sure. the recovery to practice, because that is where your article was published, and I do get those in my inbox. Um, but could you, t and, and they're wonderful, they're, they are personal stories, and they're personal stories actually of, of people who are professionals in mental health telling their personal stories, right, about their own recoveries. Are they all like that? In some cases. Mm -hmm. In some cases. Um, in some cases, it's practitioners. In some cases, it's just consumers. And it's some, in some cases, it's practitioners who are also consumers. Right. Okay, so Past it's a, a variety. Present. Right. And so Absolutely. how can people, if across, they want... Across all disciplines. Uh-huh. Right. And, and, all, and they're wonderful stories. I love reading them. How can people access those if they want to read them or uh, get them... I know they're on the SAMHSA website. Sure. Do you have that? Um, yes. Okay. I do. How it's www.samhsa, which is S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov forward slash recovery to practice. All one word. Great. Thank you so much. 
All right. Sure. So I just wanted to make sure people could access those. And so I know, I know that the sure. rest of your story is your own about how you got into your own personal uh, recovery. Yeah. While you were working on well, this, Well, I wanted right? to add. Mm-hmm. Um, one more time? Uh, what was your personal story or what, what, was you, what were you going to add? Go, ahead, go right ahead. Oh, sure. Well, I was saying, I was going to say that during the internship, um, I was, I went back to Florida, which is where I went to school. I went to Florida State University for my bachelor's and my master's. Um, and so I took the time to go back and do a lot of healing. This is after, um, my dad passed away actually in November of 2010. And so while I was interning at the hospital, I was also seeing a therapist. And at the time, he helped me to realize that I do, in fact, have an eating disorder, and, um, and I've learned to manage it. Um, and I told him a story about how a new, uh, a new but a very dear friend of mine had asked me that summer if I had any pet peeves. And um, it was kind of a strange conversation, but so I told him that I needed to think about it um, and asked if he would share his, his pet peeves with me first. And his reply was so quick, and it was something along the lines of, I cannot stand people who are fat. And I have to tell you, I've heard people say things like this before, um, on and off my entire life in casual conversation and in passing. And for some reason that night, I decided to educate uh, my friend, and do some self-disclosure. Uh, I began the conversation with, how do you feel about a person who suffers from alcoholism? And he replied, well, it's a terrible disease. Uh, I then asked if he judged alcoholics, and he said no. And this is when I began the conversation about food being an addictive substance, and I told him my story. He thanked me that evening for opening his eyes and changing his viewpoint on obesity as a, as a whole. And it felt really great knowing that I helped educate and change even just one person's point of view. I thought really long and hard about how I could reduce and perhaps one day eliminate the stigma associated with being overweight. Uh, and at the time, binge eating disorder... Uh, which is what I have been diagnosed with, was not recognized by the DSM as an official illness. However, uh, late last spring, uh, the spring of 2011, the DSM published its fifth edition to include binge eating disorders. So I thought about it for a really long time and decided it was time to share my personal story of recovery as someone with a mental health background, both professionally and personally, and as someone who really wants to be part of this important mental health civil rights movement, even if it means, you know, coming out and outing myself to the world. Mm-hmm. So what's been your experience, uh, Stephanie, as you've done that? You, it sounded like with the, the patients that you were working with in, in your internship, it was a real positive. And uh, we know that as therapists uh, that there's uh, – boundaries around that but there there's also the flex around that too that again if it's going to benefit the patient the client um that self-disclosure can be really helpful if, if you're making sure that it's you know just not all about you you're not using them you know uh sure. and it sounds like that you really you really benefited people and are very thoughtful about it so with other people what's been your experience um with disclosing uh as a, a, a mental health professional and also as a recovering person what responses do well, you get? Um, in a, well, in the hospital setting, let me back up just for a second. But, sure. um, you know, in addition to 
being someone in recovery from this food addiction, I have also, and these kind of go hand in hand, some, um, well, they tend to, um, I have suffered from depression on and off um, throughout my life. And so that was something else that I was able to bring to the table. And um, so on occasion, I remember one of the things that the patients came to the hospital for, um, for very often um, was because they were not being compliant with their medications for various reasons. Um, but a lot of times they would tell me, um, and I heard, this, I heard this all the time, you know, that, that either taking medication made them feel like they were a sick person because it reminded them that they had some sort of illness. And then the other problem that I heard quite often was that, um, that people, whether it was friends, family, other loved ones, you know, oftentimes had an opinion about whether a medication was helpful um, in their personal recovery uh, from whatever illness or, or disorder they were um, recovering from or in the process of, of trying to manage. And um, so I remember I was standing in front of a, a group of, of, of patients and they were talking about, you know, depression. And, and, one, and one patient lashed out at me and said, you know, who are you to sit here and talk about how easy it is? And, um, you know, you're, you know, you seem happy and healthy and you're standing up here talking, you know, talking like, you know, as if you're talking from a textbook. And in that moment, um, for that particular group of patients, I felt like, you know, I could say back to, to this one woman in particular, actually in my pillbox every morning, I have fish oil and a multivitamin and in the winter I add vitamin D and and I also have an antidepressant, and I carry it around every day. And so I'm not just taking care of my physical health, I'm taking care of my mental health as well. And, you know, if some of your friends or family have an issue with, you know, the medication that you're taking because they don't understand, they don't need to know about it. Um, but if something that you're taking is working, you know, stay on it. It's kind of like if you've got a physical illness and you, you know, need to take medication, for example, diabetes, and you need to control it with insulin, you're not going to stop taking it if, if it's making you feel better or if it's, helping you, if it's helping you physically. And the same goes with psychotropic medication. Um, but then I also would continue and just say that every, every person is different and not every person needs to be on medication. Not every person needs to be on medication all the time um, if they are on medication at some point in their lives. Um, so every single person is different. And I kept emphasizing that, that you can't compare yourself to anyone else, um, that we all have, you know, different makeup. But, um, but, I, but the look of shock on some of these patients' faces when I told them that I, too, you know, took a, took a happy pill in the morning, um, you know, and then, you know, and then having them open up to me a little bit more um, was fantastic and eye-opening, and it, and it, and it made me feel good um, to know that they, that they knew that they had not just a, a sympathetic practitioner but an empathetic one as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. You made a real difference. It's time for our first break. And uh, listeners, stay with us. Our topic is Freedom from the Inside Out, Recovering from Food Addiction. And my guest is Stephanie Bernstein, MSW, who is a health and wellness consultant and and, uh, is also a person recovering from food addiction. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Unity Online Radio is affiliated with Unity, a nonprofit organization specializing in prayer, publishing, and spiritual education. If you enjoy our programming and would like to support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now to make a contribution. You can make a one-time or recurring monthly donation. Thank you. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, Call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Our topic today, if you're just joining us, is Freedom from the Inside Out, Recovering from Food Addiction. And my guest is Stephanie Bernstein. Stephanie is the Director of Health, Wellness, and Optimal Happiness at Happiness Quest, LLC. You can learn more about her work at alwayspeaceofmind.com. And uh, Stephanie is sharing with us today 
both from a professional perspective as a person with eight years of experience in the fields of mental and behavioral health care and social sciences. Her work empowers people uh, that are struggling with mental health, with uh, substance use disorders, and uh, behavioral health disorders. She's empowering them to live lives that are full. And she also is a person who's recovering from food addiction. And she's sharing with us how beautifully she integrates her professional life and her personal experience to be such a, a support and a help and an inspiration to people and giving them some real practical help and some wonderful, inspiring opportunities. Before Stephanie and I get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me for the Serenity Minute for a brief moment of relaxation, to share a constructive idea, to spend a moment in the quiet, to open up to the presence of your higher power in every whatever way you experience or define your higher power. So I invite you to take a breath, to relax, and to share with me this constructive idea. I am whole. I am well. I am loved. Exactly the way I am. I am whole. I am well. I am loved. Exactly the way I am. And now we take a few moments in the quiet. friends for joining me in the Serenity Minute. I trust that it was uh, an opportunity for you to take a moment of peacefulness and connection with your higher power in the midst of your day. And now I'm back uh, talking with my guest, Stephanie Bernstein, and our topic, Freedom from the Inside Out, Recovering from Food Addiction. So Stephanie, I know that... um, as you mentioned earlier today, that your father uh, passed away um, in the last uh, few years, not very long ago, and um, he shared uh, some important information with you, and, and the two of you have, have a, a, a wonderful relationship and an interesting history. Uh, would you share with us a little bit about your father, what he shared with you, and about um, how in lots of ways you helped each other and and uh, also how his, his death has affected you. Sure. Thank you, Anna. Um, well, my, my dad passed away on uh, November 20th of 2010 at the age of 61. And one of the things that was listed on his death certificate um, was morbid obesity. And it really gave that that terminology, morbid obesity, it really made morbid real uh, for me. And um, But my dad was, was my empathetic parent. Uh, my dad yo-yo dieted his entire life, and um, so we, we understood each other. Um, he would tell me all the time, um, we would go for drives in the car, um, and he would tell me that the world is, is kinder when you aren't overweight. Uh, because he had lived it when he was able to 
lose the weight and keep it off for, you know, a small amount of time. Um, but he was never really able to, uh, to keep the weight off, and we had never actually discussed, um, we never really discussed our weight issues together. It was more just about, you know, knowing that we both struggled and, uh, and that there was some sort of genetic component to it. There was, there was no way it was, it was purely coincidence. Uh, but, um, but in general, it seems that many people are disgusted by people who are overweight. I've heard comments all my life, uh, both to my face, behind my back, and then even after I went through my weight loss journey, about how lazy and out of control people are who struggle with excess pounds. And I think that people are just misinformed and are not educated, which is why one of the reasons that I wrote my story to begin with. Obesity is not, as I wrote, just a lack of willpower. It's a combination of poor habits, biochemical, nutritional, and hormonal dysfunction, genetics, and misinformation and denial. Uh, you know, there's also... There's also, we used to talk about societal, societal norms, and, I, and this is something else that I talk about with, with the people that I work with. Um, you know, many people celebrate, you know, and console with food, and it's something that we need to get away from. Um, you know, an example is that when someone gets a promotion, there's usually a party thrown, and there's it's a catered event, and there's a cake. Uh, you know, or if a friend, you know, that you've known for years has gone through a bad breakup, and, you know, and another friend shows up with a gallon of Rocky Road ice cream. It's just something that people that people tend to do. And, uh, and I do truly believe that people mean well, but when it comes to behavior modification, especially for, for food addicts, but, but just for, in society in general, um, you know, we need to, we need to recognize that it's, it's okay that, you know, that people say no. Um, it's difficult, but, um, and I think a lot of people, you know, have a fear of offending or being different or saying no, um, or not saying no out of peer pressure. Uh, there are a myriad of reasons why people, you know, succumb to societal pressures. Uh, but we need to, you know, we need to change the way, you know, society, um, what societal norms are when it comes to, when it comes to food and how we, and how we treat food. Uh, really, it's meant to nourish our bodies. Um, and then it's also <laughs> euphoric. I, I get that as well. Um, there is enjoyment in eating for some people. So it can also be a treat. But there's a difference between treating yourself and self-medicating. Mm-hmm. What's the uh, line? The other, the other, if you could, I know this isn't uh, an easy question to answer. Could you describe a little bit of how you see the, what's the difference between treating oneself and, and, and medicating with food? Uh, well, um, it is a little bit different, to dis- a little bit difficult to describe. But from personal experience, I would say that self-medication is knowing in your head and in your gut, uh, literally and figuratively, that you are, in fact, eating or eating for, for comfort, uh, to feel better about something, uh, whereas, you know, eating it for euphoric reasons and treating yourself uh, is, you know, is going into a situation um, or not even just going into a situation, but being in a situation and being very mindful and conscious of the fact that you are eating for enjoyment uh, or for, an, for another purpose that is anything but self-medication. 
Did that mm-hmm. answer the question? Sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it makes sense for sure. And and I know you were gonna. You also have some thoughts about um, the advertising industry that makes it. Oh, absolutely, tricky. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you for for reminding me. Yeah, manufacturers and advertisers have made it very difficult on on consumers as a whole to make truly healthy decisions for themselves about the food that we buy and the food that we eat. Uh, they themselves have a bottom line, which is about money, and it's not about, you know, it's not about our best interest. It's not about the consumer's best interest. We all have to be our own health advocates and learn to be nutrition label readers and to ask questions when we're out shopping and when we're dining out at restaurants. Uh, for some reason, it seems that people in general don't put as much effort into making their health a priority, but it should be every person's priority because we're nothing without our health. Mm-hmm. So when, um, again, I know in some ways it's different for every single individual, but what kind of uh, suggestions uh, do you give to people that you work with about that, about when you're out and so forth, basically to inform ourselves and, and read and up on the labels and what we're eating or what else would you tell people? Absolutely. You know, I, you know, one of the, one of the tricks that I've learned, and I don't know if this is something that I, you know, this has been a 10 year process for me since I began my journey and up until today. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a process, a learning process for myself. But, um, but what I tell people is, yes, I mean, put some more time into, into reading and to asking questions. So if you're out buying, uh, you know, anything at the grocery or in a farmer's market, anything that's in a box or in a can or in a bag, don't just read the front. Always turn around to the back and read the nutrition label. See what's actually in the food. Read the list of ingredients. Uh, I, as a rule of thumb, I try to tell people that if you can't pronounce an ingredient, it's probably not good for you, and you probably shouldn't be eating it. Um, so it's about getting back to you know the basics of nutrition and and what our body needs as fuel. Um, you know, so much food out there now is packed with preservatives, and you know, so, and they have a sh- and food has a shelf life, and um, which means that there are chemicals and all sorts of things you know that are being infused in there to to add you know to add to, to give it extra life, to give it extra flavor. Um, and it's, and it's not good for us. Uh, you know, it's also to sometimes to make a food item cheaper, which, you know, when it comes to our health, that's not where we need to be, you know, pinching pennies, you know, save, save your, save your, you know, your coupons for something else. Uh, but not, not when it comes to food, uh, when it comes to food, you know, spend a few extra dollars here and there, you know, on a, on an, on an item. If, if you know that it's healthier for you, um, that's, that's my general general advice <laughs> right that's yeah that's great that is that's really great advice and it really invites people to i think have self-respect you know really to take to know we deserve to take the time to pay attention to to the absolutely. food what we're eating mm-hmm. absolutely. so what's an eating disorder there are lots of ways to talk about that i guess but uh, how would you describe that what is an eating disorder well um there are many types of eating disorders. I, I, I wrote about this in, in, my, uh, in my article about how when I was younger, I used to wish for the discipline to, to become anorexic, which, um, you know, I know is when, you know, when, when someone deprives themselves of, of food and, and exercises excessively. Um, I can only speak on, from my own experience. I, you know, I'm not a licensed clinician. 
Um, but I truly believe there's a common thread uh, bet- with people who suffer from various eating disorders. And I believe that that common thread is, is control. It's a control factor. Uh, for myself, um, food really was something that was the only thing many times in my life when I felt that everything was out of control, whether it was my, you know, in my family or at school uh, or in my, you know, personal life with my friends or other relationships, uh, food was the one thing that I could control. Whether or not it made me out of control uh, <laughs> is kind of ironic, um, is, you know, is, is, a different, is a different story, but it is. It's about tr- control, having control, or having lack of control. Uh, it's really not about the food. If you ask anyone that, I, that I've spoken with or worked with who has suffered from an eating disorder or who has recovered from an eating disorder, it's not about the food um, at all. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, what is it like to recover from an, an eating disorder? Uh, you know, if somebody that has a substance like is addicted to alcohol or other drugs, um, I mean, that's around, but it's, you don't have it that's sitting in front of you on the table three meals a day usually. So what's it, what's it like to recover from an eating disorder and how might it be the same or different um, from other, like a, an alcohol addiction or other drugs? Well, again, I can't speak to, you know, the other eating disorders uh, per se, but, you know, when I'm talking about being a food addict, uh, you know, I, I do believe that it's a very difficult addiction to overcome. You know, we as humans cannot abstain from eating. And because absence is not an option, it makes having this addiction that much more difficult because food addicts are faced with our vices every day, like you said, three times a day, sometimes more, with, um, with different choices than someone who suffers from a different substance use disorder like alcohol or, you know, other drugs. Um, it's a choice about whether or not to, or I'm sorry, it's not a choice about whether or not to use it. It's about making the healthy choice, and it's about portions, uh, and it's about being mindful and knowing why you are, you know, supplying yourself with the food that you are supplying yourself with. It's about being mindful again. You know, why are we feeding ourselves? Uh, What is the purpose? Is it because we're hungry? Is it because we need the nutrition for strength, you know, for energy? Uh, Is it to celebrate? Is it to console? Is it to self-medicate? You know, it's about being, it's about being mindful, uh, really, but you cannot, we cannot abstain from eating. So it is, it's very difficult. It's something that most most of us, or I can only speak for my, I really can only speak for myself. You know, I, I think about it all day, every day, before every meal, before every snack. <laughs> it's uh-huh. on my mind. Um, everything is very planned out, or as planned out as I can, I can, I can. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So, so that's one of the things that's helpful to you then is to is to is to plan to pre-plan to think about what's it, to help to sort of. Uh, create, almost create a boundary around the food, or how would you put that? You might put it differently. Well, I don't know if it's a, if it's a boundary. I think it's just more of a being con- you know, being conscious of of what it is that I'm that I'm doing in the moment. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm preparing my food at home, you know, then I have going back to control. I have total control over what I'm what I'm eating and how much I'm eating. Uh, the 
the, the mindfulness, you know, more so, you know, to prepare myself for the outside world is, you know, when you walk into an office and they're having a party or you're going out with your friends for dinner or going on a date or, you know, or celebrating in a family tradition or, or out, you know, out somewhere or, or out on your own at a restaurant. Say you, you know, say I forgot my lunch, you know, at home or, you know, was in a hurry and didn't have time to prepare my meals. You know, it's, it's about knowing where to go and how to make good choices and what choices I'm making when I'm out and about and, and being a, cons- and being a consumer at a store or at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's time for our uh, break. Uh, my guest is Stephanie Bernstein. We're talking about re- uh, freedom from the inside out, recovering from food addiction. And uh, thank you, Stephanie. You've given us some really great practical information here and stuff that's really helpful. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, Trusted king when earthly governments fail. All-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you have joined us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Freedom from the Inside Out, Recovering from Food Addiction. My guest is Stephanie Bernstein. Stephanie uh, is, has a Master's of Social Work, and she has eight years of experience in the fields of behavioral and mental health care and social sciences. She is uh, also a person who is recovering from food addiction, and in her work, she integrates her personal recovery story and her professional expertise to support people who are struggling with recovery issues in mental health, substance use, um, food addiction, and behavioral health, and is a very uh, wonderful inspiration and a practical help to them um, in their own recoveries. You can learn more about Stephanie's work at alwayspeaceofmind.com. Also, you can read Stephanie's article, I Stopped Waiting, My Journey to Recovery from Binge Eating Disorder, by um, going to the SAMHSA website, which we mentioned earlier. That's the government uh, substance abuse and mental health uh, website. It's samhsa.gov, and you can uh, go on there in the Recovery to Practice um tab you can see that on the website and then look under recovery resources weekly highlights and in volume four you will find this excellent article by stephanie bernstein and it it, you'll just really enjoy it it's good stuff so stephanie what motivated you to move into recovery uh well i'd always wanted to move into recovery uh but wasn't able to you know i speaking you know from someone who was really, you know, overweight most of my life, I never wanted to be overweight, uh, but I never, but I never knew how to get myself out other than, you know, crash diets that didn't work or they did, but then I couldn't, I couldn't maintain. Um, so I remember, uh, my senior year of high school, I remember having conversations with my mother, um, about bariatric surgery, but it terrified me. The idea of going under the knife and having my stomach cut was scary, and it was potentially dangerous. I also knew that I would not, I also knew that it was not going to change my behaviors and the underlying problems. It wasn't going to get to the root of how I got to be that heavy to begin with. Uh, And I had watched the news and read articles about, you know, people who had gone under, you know, under the knife and had various bariatric procedures. And a lot of them gain the weight back, and it's because they're not dealing with the emotional piece that brought them to, to, to be that heavy to begin with. Um, and I knew that I could only save myself. Uh, I can only describe to you that I've, you know, heard stories of other addicts who have had rock-bottom mo- moments, uh, and I, too, had a rock-bottom moment. Uh, I had serious body dysmorphia, and I never allowed myself to really see uh, how heavy I'd gotten when I looked in the mirror. And then one night, uh, my sophomore year of college, I looked in the mirror before going to bed and after I had, I had binged, and I finally saw the damage I had done to my body in the mirror that night. I don't know exactly what allowed myself to finally see myself, but uh, that was the day that I committed to changing my behaviors and making a lifelong commitment to myself. And, uh, and I would not get on the scale, uh, again, until I knew that I was under, you know, a certain number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by body dysmorphia? What, does that, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, I, you know, I had, I had a certain image in my head uh, of what 
of what my of what I looked like uh, that was very different from what I actually looked like. Uh, I almost think it was how I how I was able to function uh, during the day. Uh, you know, I would not allow myself to see the damage that obesity had inflicted on my on my body. Um, you know, I, I would, I dressed to the nines. I always, you know, I always cared. I've always cared very much about, you know, about my appearance. I've always, you know, put on makeup and have done my hair and will, you know, put on, you know, whatever outfit and, and shoes, you know, from head to toe, I'm always dressed. But I, I always just kind of ignored, uh, you know, from, from the neck down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I really, you know, truly believed that I was not as large as I actually was. And uh, so that's what I mean by dysmorphia. I mean, I just was not allowing myself to see what was really there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for uh, that explanation. That's that's really helpful to, sure. to understand that. Um, you In your article, the title of your article is I Stopped Waiting, W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. So how... How is waiting, in that sense, different from a real recovery? Well, uh, waiting is, the, the word waiting was a play on words for the title of the article, but basically I meant that I stopped waiting to live my life. Uh, my, white, my weight, excuse me, <laughs> my weight kept me from living the life that I had always wanted to live. And um, it wasn't until I began my journey, uh, my recovery journey, that I didn't, you know, I didn't know how bad I felt and how sick I was until I started to feel good. And once I began to feel good, I was on a quest to feel great. Uh, and then I started doing all the things, you know, in my life that I had been telling myself that I really wasn't interested in doing, but it was really more so out of fear that I was too big or too heavy or didn't have the energy. For example, hiking, uh, going on roller coasters, uh, skydiving, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and even, you know, going on dates, you know, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And so even when I was, you know, a bigger girl, I would get asked out, but I would, I would, I would shy away from it. Um, because I didn't, you know, I didn't love myself. So how could some, how could I allow someone else to love me? And so really that play on words is, was me, you know, was me saying that um, that I was. I stopped waiting. I literally, you know, it's no longer about the number on my scale. It's about how I feel and the energy that I have and the happiness that being healthy uh, has brought. Um, you know, being being healthy truly is a byproduct of my of of being happy and my overall happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you. You told told us a little earlier about your father's passing and um, some things about that, but also you have some other things I, I know that I'd like to hear about some important things you learned about your own emotions and uh, sense of self about life. What did you learn about that when your dad passed away? Sure. Well, when, when my dad died, um, I had already, you know, been on the path of recovery for, for prob- almost eight years, I believe. So my dad got to see, you know, all the hard work that I had put in and, and, um, and how I was, you know, able to, you know, and how I was maintaining it. Um, but what, what, what was really interesting for me and so important for me to be able to 
differentiate having told your listeners earlier that, you know, I have suffered from depression before, uh, that when I lost my dad, it taught me the difference between depression and sadness. Um, and being able to differentiate between the two was, was huge for me. It was, it was absolutely huge. I wasn't depressed when my dad passed away. I was just incredibly, incredibly sad. And, uh, and the difference for me was that, you know, depression paralyzed, paralyzed me for a while. I mean, I, you know, I, I couldn't get out of bed and I would, I was sad and, you know, would cry for no reason. Whereas, you know, the crying for this was, you know, because I was grieving. But, um, one of the things that I did, you know, after my dad passed away, um, was I came back to the, to the DC area. I had flown back to Tampa where my family lives and I came back to DC and, uh, it was the start of winter, which I learned after moving up here in 2008, uh, is not my favorite season. (laughs) And I tend to go into hibernation mode. And I knew that because I was grieving that I, you know, I might, I might, you know, go into old behaviors, not so much with self-medication because I wasn't depressed, but I was a little concerned that I might just kind of crawl into a hole and go to work, you know, every day, but come home and, and just crawl into bed and, and want to stay warm. So, and, and, and be alone with my thoughts. So instead, I went to the gym the day that I flew back here and I signed a contract to work with a personal trainer twice a week for a year. And, I'll never forget this. Uh, my, my personal trainer is one of my best friends to this day, and really he was almost like my therapist. <laughs> but um, I remember I walked in and he said, you know, so he said, do you have any weight loss goals? And, you know, and if so, you know, how much, how much weight do you want to lose? And I burst into tears and I looked at him and I said, I am not here because I want to lose weight. I, I'm here because I just want to make sure that I am healthy and that I stay that way. And that, and I knew for myself that signing that contract and having those appointments uh, was going to hold me accountable, and that it was going to force me to go. Uh, that having those appointments and paying for those appointments was mm-hmm. going to be the reason that I would get out of my apartment and get out of and you know get out of my own head. Um, so physically and mentally, I was doing myself a favor. It was it was great. I mean, I would go and I would I would talk, and sometimes I would cry, but. But I, I physically made sure that I was not that that was not the time to to let myself go or to fall off the bandwagon or to you know or to go back and 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 to gain any weight. Uh, I knew it was not going to help anything. Uh, the other thing that was interesting was it really was the first time in my life that I recognized that I wasn't that I wasn't hungry, uh, at least not to feed my emotions. Uh, which was which was really interesting, and I'm not sure I'm not exactly sure why that is, but um, but but being able to and going back to what I had originally said, being able to differentiate between depression and sadness was was huge, huge. Right. Well, thank you for uh, for telling us that it's it's a really good uh, example there about how a commitment to action is such a key part of recovery. And, you know, whatever action it is for each individual, that's, that's a recovery behavior. But making that commitment, finding a way to be accountable, that's, that's really key. That's really something. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Now, Stephanie, I know that you, uh, again, in your work, you, you obviously work with people on a daily basis and supporting their health and uh, your own experience. I know you've got lots of words of wisdom. So uh, would you <laughs> share with us 
some of your wisdom? What are some of the main things that are important to the recovery and healthy healthy living process? Sure. Well, you know, I think to try and sum- summarize, um, the, the biggest thing, and I know that a lot of people don't want to hear this, but, you know, I, I t- I, this is what I tell people. There is no magic pill and there is no major secret. Um, and that weight maintenance and weight loss is not about dieting. It's about, you know, it's about nutrition. It's about moving. It's about exercising. It's about taking control and it's about taking responsibility over your, our own actions, your own actions. Um, and basically, you know, as is anything in life that's worth achieving, it's hard work. But, you know, most things that are worth achieving not only are hard work, but if you're going after it, it's worth it. So, um, you know, so weight loss and weight management are no different. Uh, you know, and it's, and it is a, a life, a lifelong journey. And so, you know, if you have a bad day or a bad week, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I've heard, you know, with horseback riding, if you fall off the horse, get back on. If you fall off a bicycle and you're bike riding, get back on. It's the same thing. Uh, you know, no, there's no, there's no sabotaging. Uh, it's all about learning from our mistakes, forgiving ourselves, being gentle with ourselves, and uh, and then moving forward and celebrating our successes. Uh, the other thing that I tell people is, you know, try to celebrate your successes with with anything other than food. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good one. Celebrate, with an, ex- <laughs> celebrate right. with an experience. Celebrate by going shopping. Celebrate by, you know, being with people that you love or taking a trip. Uh, you know, but get out of the habit of celebrating with food. <laughs> That's great. And our, unfortunately, our time is up. Uh, but I want to thank you, my guest, Stephanie Bernstein. And you've just done a wonderful uh, work with us here today. Our topic's been freedom from the inside out, recovering from food addiction. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for being my guest today. Appreciate everything oh, you shared. Thank you for having me, Anna. I really appreciate it. That's great. Listeners, glad you're listening today. Um, Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They share Unity's classic teachings. Join Reverend Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings. Follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine these foundational teachings through the works of Unity authors past and present. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings. 
Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.